Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bible with you tonight, open it with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to continue on in our study, Beyond Degree, exploring the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. Tonight, and Lord willing, a few more weeks uh, as well. But tonight I want us to consider a glorious truth in regards to Jesus. For those who are His, we can call Him our friend. Jesus is our friend. Studies have shown that friendship is waning in our world. Uh, For various reasons, we have lamentably impoverished the category of friendship between humans. Certainly, uh, the social media age has played a part in this. Uh, While we are more connected uh, through technology than ever before, and while Facebook friendships number literally in the billions, true friendships have fallen on much, much harder times. Yet despite this, We know the importance and the value of having a real friend. Our culture longs for these connections and our hearts literally, literally ache for them. Uh, We see it sometimes in our children uh, as they have imaginary friends. Not even a, a real friend, a literal friend. They create their own friends. Such is the hard wire of our hearts to have friendship. If you're still not convinced, think for a moment with me about the many television shows and movies that are produced in our culture. Uh, Many of the plot lines, many of the storylines revolve around the friendships that are formed on the screen, right? You know this, don't you? Let me give you a a group of names, see if you can tell me uh, the name of the show. Sam, Cliff, Norm, Frazier, Woody, and Rebecca. Because sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Cheers, right? It was an entire show cast around the relationships, the friendships uh, of those cast members. Uh, That was in the the 80s into the early 90s. When we come to the uh, the 90s itself, there was a show about absolutely nothing. There we go. Seinfeld. Four friends, right? Jerry, Elaine, George, and of course, everybody's favorite, Kramer, right? Four friends, an entire show. There's not really a plot line, I guess, in Seinfeld, other than the relationships that they had and experienced. It was a show that captivated so many uh, because of the friendships that it portrayed. And then we come to the late 90s and into the 2000s, and uh, the subtleness kind of went by the wayside because we had a a show that, that, that cast for us a group of of uh, roommates, Rachel, Monica, Phoebe, Chandler, Joey, and Ross with the name what? Friends. Not so subtle, right? Here's a show about friends. 
And if I'm not mistaken, just last week they had a, a friend's reunion where the cast gathered again and spoke about their time on set and uh, the many seasons that the, um, the show aired. But again, an entire, an entire sitcom around friendship. And it's not just uh, in the human world either, is it? When we come to the 2000s and the advancement in uh, technology to give us uh, some sophisticated uh, animated technology, uh, we have an entire movie series built around uh, a, a song, a theme song, You've Got a Friend in Me. The story of a bunch of toys, right? Woody and Buzz. Slinky Dog, all of them. Toy Story, that's right. It was the top grossing, fully animated movie series of all time. So not even human characters, animated characters. And it all revolves around friendship. And then on the other side of the, um, the fictional, although human actors, we have the trilogy uh, coming from the books onto the big screen of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And what we discover in that is that even hobbits need friends, right? Remember the two main hobbits there in the series, Sam and Frodo? As they're on their journey, Frodo says to Sam, it's going to be very dangerous. In fact, it is already dangerous. Most likely, neither of us will come back. To which Sam replies, if you don't come back, sir, then I shan't, that's certain. Don't you leave him, they said to me. Leave him, I said. I never mean to. I am going with him if he climbs to the moon. And if any of those black riders try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with, I said. Truly, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we have Sam and Frodo, a faithful friendship uh, with Sam basically carrying Frodo on his back up the Mount Doom to destroy the corrupting ring. What does this tell us? Tells us what we know, what we know from Scripture. We were made for relationships, and we need friendships. But the greatest friend you could ever have is Jesus. It's Jesus. And the glorious truth is that we can call him our friend. Spurgeon said, He who would be happy here must have friends. And he who would be happy hereafter must above all things find a friend in the world to come in the person of Jesus Christ. How true that is. If you have your Bibles, let's look tonight at Matthew chapter 11. I want us to read verses 18 and 19. Matthew eleven eighteen and 19. Hear the word of God tonight. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. May the Lord bless this evening the, the reading and the teaching of his word. When we come to Jesus, and, and I would just remind you again of the context of this study that we've been in for a couple of weeks now, 
beyond degree, exploring the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. We're talking about how he relates to those who come to him. We began uh, a few verses down in Matthew 11 by looking at the, the wonderful invitation that Jesus extends. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. For those who come to him, he's gentle and lowly in heart. So when we come to Jesus... For those who come to him, what we discover, what we come to realize is that he becomes our forever friend. Both now, in this life, and then throughout eternity as well. Our forever friend. As I was uh, writing that sentence this afternoon in my study, uh, it it made me think of uh, the children's Bible that we would read to our kids when they were younger. uh, The big picture storybook Bible. It talks about, uh, in the pages of that book, as they walk through Scripture with a focus on Jesus, that, that He is the forever King. He is the forever King, the forever King that is coming, the forever King that has come. And certainly He is. Uh, Richard Siebes would tell us uh, that Jesus is certainly King, but He is also friend. He is King, but also Friend. He becomes our forever friend. It may be striking for you to think of Jesus as your friend tonight, but that's certainly what he is and who he is. I would just ask you for a moment there, wherever you may be sitting, for those of you who are here in the sanctuary tonight, take, take just a moment and do a, a mental inventory and ask yourself, when I think of Jesus, when I think of who he is, At what point, if ever, do I think of him as my friend? Savior, Messiah, Christ, Lord, Lion, Lamb, Son of God, Son of Man. All of these things, he certainly is. But are we not prone sometimes to forget that he's our friend? He is our friend. In our text tonight, in Matthew 11, specifically verse 19, these are the words of Jesus. And as he is uh, contending against his antagonist uh, once again, he he repeats the words back to them, the, the, the conversation that he has heard throughout his ministry. And what's amazing to me is that it's, it's his antagonist, it's his enemies, if you will, who make this observation for us. Jesus repeats their words. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They use it as a disparaging remark, but Jesus picks it up and boldly asserts it. Like many of the demons that he encountered in his ministry, when he came upon the scene, they would cry out and profess the truth. You are the Holy One of God. They knew exactly who he was. And it's here in Matthew eleven nineteen as Jesus uh, reminds us of the words of his antagonists, that it's his accusers who clearly perceived who he is, a friend of sinners. And that's absolutely who he is. He's a friend of sinners. His heart knows nothing less. And again, that's what this study is really all about, the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. 
He counts them as his friends. Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, his, speaking of Jesus, his heart takes shape as our never-failing friend. What a glorious truth. His heart takes shape for us as our never-failing friend. As we think of our friendship with Jesus tonight, I would remind us, give us a caveat, that we need to be careful. My, my aim in thinking about Jesus as our friend tonight is not to overly domesticate him. The last time we were in this study on Wednesday night, I believe we, we spoke, spoke about him not being a squishy Jesus. Right? He, he's, he's not ooey and gooey. He's a hot-hearted Savior. He gets angry about all the right things. He's not merely a pushover. So my, my caveat is not that we over, overly domesticate him tonight, but that we remember he is a friend. He's not just any friend, but he's a friend nonetheless. So tonight I want to think with you for just a few minutes about the glorious reality that Jesus is our friend. Richard Sibbs, the famed Puritan preacher, wrote a wonderful book, Bowels of Compassion, in which he highlights the the friendship of Christ towards sinners. And in that he writes, all the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. All the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. While We all hopefully have friends that we hold dear tonight in our lives. If we were honest, we would say that those friendships in some areas aren't perfect. But yet in Christ, we find the perfect friend. So all the kinds and all the degrees of friendship that we experience in this life with others, they find their apex in Christ as our true forever never-failing friend. So as we think about that friendship with Jesus tonight, I want to give you uh, seven characteristics. Seven characteristics of what it means for Jesus to be our friend, to, to capture, if we can tonight, this friendship that we enjoy with our Savior. Seven characteristics, and to make it easy for you tonight, they all start with the letter C. All right, characteristics C. Baptist preachers have been inspired by the Duggar family for many, 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 many years, right? Just seven tonight. Number one, our friendship with Jesus is consensual. Consensual. If you've got your Bible still open, uh, you can go with me just a few pages uh, in the Gospels to John 15. In John 15, we, we have Jesus offering the last discourse to his uh, apostles there in the upper room. And in the midst of his teaching, he transforms their relationship, if you will. He tells them in John 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. It's not merely that we count Jesus as a friend tonight. That's glorious. That's wonderful. 
But on the other side, he counts us as friends as well. We are his friends. He is our friend. That's what I mean by the word consensual. There's a mutual friendship in play with Jesus. We are his friends and he is ours. Again, the words of Richard Sibbs are are pertinent for this. In that work, he continues on and he says, In friendship, there's a mutual consent, a union of judgment and affections. There's mutual sympathy in the good and ill of one another. In friendship, there's a mutual uh, solace and comfort one in another. Christ delights himself in his love to the church, and his church delights herself in her love to Christ. In friendship, there's a mutual honor and respect of another. This is what's at play in the friendship that we have with Jesus and I and the friendship that he has with us. There's a a consensual relationship, a mutual consent that's there. One of judgment and affection, sympathy and good, solace and comfort, delight, honor and respect. This is how Jesus considers us tonight as his friend. As his friend. What a glorious truth. He's a friend people like us you know he's he's not that type of friend uh, that some people have that the relationships one way you've probably experienced that or know someone who's experienced a, a friendship along those lines uh, they count one person as a friend but it's not uh, sent back the other direction that's not how it is with jesus tonight it's two ways he is our friend and we are his friend and And we share that friendship mutually. And all that it means to be in a friendship plays out between us. It's consensual. Secondly, so we think about the characteristic of this friendship that we have with Jesus. It teaches us about company. Company. And specifically, that we can enjoy His company. And that He enjoys our company company revelation chapter 3 verses 17 through 20 it's jesus speaking through the angel the messenger uh, to the church at laodicea you're familiar with those seven churches there at the beginning of the revelation uh, the words that are given to each of them and here in revelation three seventeen, jesus speaks to the church and he says You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But realizing that you are, but not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So there's a confusion on their their actual condition here. They think they're doing really good. Jesus says, let me give you a, a more accurate assessment. I counsel you, he says, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Here it is, familiar verse that we know. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his church. 
Uh, Many times we see this verse lifted from its context there in Revelation 3, verse 20, and sought to be applied to the work of evangelism, that Jesus is knocking on the door of hearts of uh, unrepentant sinners, wanting them to open it up. But that's not the context. That's not the, uh, the point of the verse or the scripture there. The context is Jesus dealing with his church. Jesus dealing with his own. He's got concern over them. He's, he's giving them a fair assessment of their condition. He's calling them to repentance. He's, he's calling them to, to seek spiritual treatment, if you will. He's expressing his love to them through reproof and discipline. And he tells them in verse 20, I'm standing at your door knocking. My desire is to be in company with you. To come in and to fellowship with you. He says, I want to come in and eat with you and you with me. Do you remember the charge that the antagonists accused Jesus Jesus of back in Matthew 11? He eats with tax collectors and sinners. We hear it again in Luke 15. He eats with sinners. Here Jesus is saying, I want to come in and eat with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be in company with you. Why? Because he's our friend. He's our friend. He desires that we would enjoy his presence and that he would have ours as well. He is our friend. We enjoy his company and he likewise enjoys ours. With a good friend, someone said, you can just be warmly present together, quietly relishing each other's company. What a privilege it is to do that with Jesus, to enjoy the company of our Savior. In our friendship with Christ, we have a consensual friendship, one in which we enjoy each other's company, but we also have a forever companion. Companion. This friendship speaks of companion. Now you may ask, what's the difference with company and companion? Well, I think there is a nuance here. Company speaks of being in the presence of of one another, enjoying the presence of one another. But companion captures the idea of going one with another. When you think of having company, you think of somebody coming over and sitting down at your house and hanging out at your house, being in the company of each other. When you think of a companion, you think of someone going with you somewhere. And Jesus, as our friend, is our forever companion. Jonathan Edwards said, Jesus has come down from heaven and has taken upon him the human uh, nature in purpose. What is that purpose? He adds, that he might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. Your companion. This is the picture of Sam and Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Oh, I shall never leave him, never forsake him. What a glorious truth it is to know that as we make our pilgrimage through this wide wilderness of a world, we have a steady, constant friend. The Hebrew writer quoting from Deuteronomy tells us in Hebrews 13, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of the greatest hurt that we know in life is when a friend lets us down. They're no longer there. They've forsaken They stopped short on the journey, but that's not how it will be with Jesus. I love the testimony of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's down to the final, final few verses that will flow from his pen, from his mind. And he tells Timothy, 
in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord stood by me. Paul said, everybody else was gone. Everybody else had deserted. Nobody was standing with me. But Paul knew he had a friend in Jesus. A friend who stood by him, strengthened him, never forsook him. We're familiar with that old hymn that captures that very thought. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And the third stanza the hymn writer penned. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus is our friend. He's our forever companion. He is with us on all of life's journey. Every step that we take, every situation that we face, every season that we go through, he is there with us. Number four, having Jesus as our friend means that we can come to him comfortably. We can come to him comfortably. Luke 15. Luke 15 is One of my favorite chapters in the Gospels. It's in Luke 15 where we get one parable with three acts. Sometimes we look at it as three parables that Jesus gives, but it's really really one parable with three acts and Jesus driving a, a main point home. In the opening of that chapter, Luke tells us in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's an echo of Matthew eleven nineteen, right? It's where we started tonight. It's the same, the same verbiage. It's the same accusation. This man hangs out with sinners. He eats with them. He receives them. He's friends with sinners. But what does that mean? It means that we can come comfortably to Jesus. It's what, it's what Luke 15.1 is, is pointing us to. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing, what? Near to him. Near to him. They were comfortable in approaching Jesus. They were comfortable in coming close to Jesus. In spite of their status, In spite of their sin, in spite of whatever was ailing them or holding them down, whatever it was, it didn't matter. They were comfortable in coming to Jesus. Why? Because he receives sinners. Because he's a friend of sinners. Think about how this relates to us tonight. There's not a one of us in this room that's perfect. There's not a one of us tonight who has it all figured out. There's not one of us tonight uh, that has arrived 
No, we're still pressing on toward the prize with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. We're still aiming uh, to finish the race. We're not there yet. We all mess up. We all have our sins. We all have our mistakes and shortcomings. But because Jesus is our friend, we can still come comfortably to him. You know, one of the, the greatest things about a true friendship is that a friend accepts you for who you are. There's no pretense that's got to be put on. There's no cover-up that's got to be pulled down. There's no mask that's got to be worn. You can simply be comfortable in their presence because they are your friend. That's what Jesus is for us tonight. He's our friend. And no matter what struggle we may be facing, no matter what sin may be setting us, we can come comfortably to Him. He receives sinners. Number five, having Jesus as our friend means that we can enjoy sweet communion with him. Sweet communion. It used to be that friends talked on the phone, but now I think all they do is text. But irregardless, a friendship is built many times on communication. Connecting with words. Jesus does this for us. We can commune with him. Again, in John 15, 15, Jesus told his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. We can commune with him. We can converse with him. Jesus is not keeping anything back from us tonight. He has revealed the Father to us. He's revealed His will to us and His Word. And we can pour out our hearts to Him in prayer. There's sweet communion in the friendship that we have with Jesus. We can, we can tell Him whatever's going on. We can bear our souls. I don't know how you pray sometimes in your prayer closet. Uh, but there's sometimes I go to Jesus and it probably doesn't even sound like a prayer. It's more like, God, Lord, Jesus. I'm really upset right now. It's really not a good day. It's really hard. It's really bad. I'm really struggling. There's a few people. I'd like to put my hands around their neck, if you know what I mean. We can talk with him. We can commune with him. He's our friend. He communes with us. We can commune with him. Thomas Goodwin, again, another Puritan. Puritans understood so much about the relationship that we share with Christ. He says, mutual communion is the soul of all true friendship. And a familiar converse with a friend has the greatest sweetness in it. Oh, how sweet it is to converse with Christ as our friend. Number six, having Jesus as our friend means that he will offer us correction. He will offer us correction. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Because Jesus is our faithful friend, because he loves us, he will always seek to correct us. While we can come comfortably into his presence, even in spite of our sins and our struggles, we can expect him to be a faithful friend. And apply the correction that is needed. 
He has an amazing way of always putting his finger exactly where it needs to fall in our lives. This, this right here is where my grace needs to be applied. Charles Bridges wrote, I'm a poor straying sinner with a wayward will and a blinded heart going wrong at every step. The friend for my case is one who will watch over me with open rebuke, a reprover when needful, not a flatterer. The genuineness of a friendship without this mark is more than doubtful. Its usefulness utterly paralyzed. Oh, we, we need human friends like that, don't we? We need those human friends who can speak into our lives in a very bold way, who can offer correction uh, when it's necessary. But know that you've got a friend in Jesus who always will do that. We saw it in Revelation 3 with the church there. You think you're rich? You think you've got it all figured out? But let me tell you where you're really at. And he did it as a friend, desiring to come in and eat with them. Jesus, as our friend, will always offer the correction that we need to find ourselves uh, walking in his will. Then finally, as we think about our friendship with Jesus, the word compassion certainly fits. John 15, 12 and 13. We've looked at verse 15 already, this section where Jesus is speaking along the lines of friendship with his followers. This is what he told them. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What did Jesus do for us at the cross? He laid down his life. Who did he do it for? His friends. His friends. I'll leave you with one final sentence tonight. The refrain of another familiar hymn that simply captures this idea that Jesus is a friend to sinners like us. The bold exclamation. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the time you've given us to be in your word. We thank you tonight that we can call you our friend. That Jesus counts us as his friend. Father, help us always to be mindful of that. Let us enjoy sweet communion. Let us be comfortable just simply Uh, being in his presence. Let us receive his correction. Let us marvel at his compassion. Father, we thank you that he laid down his life for his friends. What a Savior. He receives sinners eats with them, calls them his friends. May this truth, this glorious truth, shape our lives as we go from this place tonight. Father, be with these who are before me. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. Father, may their hearts be filled with your joy. May they be filled with your spirit and yielded to your ways. And if it's your will, Father, let us gather this next Lord's Day coming 
filled with the expectation, expectancy, to hear your word proclaimed and to sing your praises as well. Go with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.